There's so many things. Freaking cocktails. cocktails. I hate cocktails. I, I do. I hate. I okay. hate. I, I like hate we gotta, cocktails. We gotta unwrap this. The Fred Minnick Show is brought to you by 291 Colorado Whiskey, by Mictors, and by Heaven Hill Brands. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fred Minnick Show. Fred here. Woo, we got a good episode for you. I got uh, Craig Melvin here. Craig, of course, with uh, the Today Show. You may recall he's the guy who interviewed me when uh, the Today Show did a big segment on me and kind of how I became a taster and what have you. Now, this is an audio-only podcast because, well, I was in charge of the video on this little shoot, and uh, yeah, I had a I had a glitch in my in my camera or something, and I, I guess I didn't catch it when we were recording. But that actually rarely happens. I'm usually pretty good about the the video. It's the audio side I usually stink at, but the audio is crisp and clean. But we did this uh, interview at Peter Shapiro's office in uh, in New York, and he's going to be my guest next week. But uh, I just want to paint a picture for you. We are surrounded by piles upon piles of concert uh, paraphernalia, uh, Grateful Dead, you know, hats, shirts, signed books, uh, uh, personal notes about uh, what uh, about meeting people in the bathroom for drugs it was it was like we were like in an old school rock and roll promoters uh office doing this interview <laughs> it's kind of kind of wicked um at any rate so i enjoyed this interview a lot and we taste a lot of really good whiskey it's not blind we we talk about it um actually two tastings were blind no wait that was peter peter peter's tasting was blind Craig's was not. So I did these interviews back to back. I just got it mixed up there for a second. But we had a wonderful, wonderful tasting and and uh, just cracked out the Michter's 10-year-old, the Michter's 10-year-old with, uh, with Craig. And it was delicious. Absolutely delicious. Uh, also, a little teaser for you. I'm starting my own Patreon uh, membership community. Details on that coming out very soon, but it's going to include barrel picks. It's going to include... Uh, exclusive content, including an exclusive uh, podcast uh, that's only available in that membership community. So very excited about that. More details coming. But now let's uh, enjoy this interview with uh, Craig Melvin of the Today Show. Heaven Hill Distillery is sharing ideas on how to pair their African whiskeys with popular West African flavors for a full cross-cultural experience. Learn more about this series of Afro-fusion dinners and why Jack Begadu, the hood sommelier, says nothing quite opens the mind to a new experience like a good glass of bourbon. You can find this at their blog at heavenhilldistillery.com slash afrofusion. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Cheers. People want a great whiskey that isn't like every other whiskey. So nestled in the shadow of Pikes Peak, 291 Colorado whiskey is distilled from grain to barrel to bottle. Exceptional Western whiskey, unlike any other. Passion permeates every sip. 
utilizing grains from the Colorado Plains, water collected from Pikes Peak Reservoirs, and finished with Aspen Staves, 291 Colorado Whiskey is an award-winning single barrel and small batch whiskey. Hard made the Colorado way. Our recipe, our stills, independent and always rugged, refined, and rebellious. 291 Colorado Whiskey is proud of its humble roots and excited as we expand to new frontiers. Get your taste of Colorado at 291ColoradoWhiskey.com. Online orders available or find a bottle near you. Ride it like you stole it. Drink it like you own it. Live fast. Drink responsibly. Must be 21 Danner. At Michter's Distillery, our passion is making the finest bourbon, rye, and American whiskey possible. When you only produce very small batch and single barrel whiskey as we do, each and every barrel has to be perfect. No detail is too small for our production team. From careful attention to the 18-month or more air-dried wood used in the construction of our barrels, to entering our distillate into the barrel at the costlier or lower barrel entry proof of 103 so that it's smoother, to heat cycling our barrel houses, to our signature filtration protocol, we spare no expense in pursuing our goal of making the greatest American whiskey. And no Michter's gets bottled until our master distiller, Dan McKee, and our master of maturation, Andrea Wilson, say it's just right. Michter's Fort Nelson Distillery in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, is open for tours and tastings. Book your visit on our website and stop by the bar at Fort Nelson for a world-class cocktail. For more information, follow us on social media at Michter's Whiskey, go to Michter's.com, or visit your favorite bartender. Michter's Distillery. It's all about the whiskey. Hey, it's Kenny Coleman here from Bourbon Pursuit. Join Fred Minnick, Ryan Cecil, and myself every Thursday as we talk about the latest trends happening in bourbon and interview the biggest names in the whiskey business. Subscribe to Bourbon Pursuit wherever you get your podcasts. Not bad, man. Just been, um, been, been hustling, you know, the never ending, the never ending hustle of, uh, being a bourbon drinker. I, I know it well, but <laughs> I, you've got one of the best gigs I, I could think of. Hey, someone's got to do it, you know, cause if, if someone isn't out there talking about the, the whiskey and like it being, uh, whether it's, you know, good or whatever, then it's just, it's just marketing, you know, and that. That's that's the scariest thing for me is like if because these brands have larger social media presences and everything and sure and he's, he can get away with so much. So especially these days, it, it does seem like there's a lot of garbage. Yeah. Bourbon out there. There's a there's a lot of garbage bourbon out there. And then there's a lot of uh, what I would say, people who are just really good marketers. Yes. You know, but back when this was made right here. And I'll, I know you're a turkey fan. I am. I had to bring that. This is one of my favorite turkeys of all time. I don't uh, know this one. This is so. This is dating back. This is uh, this is uh, the the gold foil twelve year. Um, <laughs> you know, you're looking at when am I allowed to? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is exciting, Fred. Minute. This is exciting. <laughs> give me the give me the backstory here. So wild wild turkey used to be owned by a company called Austin Nichols. And uh, Austin Nichols was really the the company that brought it to the the forefront. Uh, Pernod Ricard purchased them in the uh, in the seventies, and when they purchased them, one of the things that they brought up in their negotiation was that they would keep 
I'll take that from you, sir. Okay. They would keep that they would have uh Jimmy Russell. Jimmy. As as one of their, you know, that was in their contract with him that they would get to keep Jimmy Russell. And I know you got to you you interviewed Jimmy and spent some time with them. So I, I figured did. we'd start with this one. That's so. a couple years ago. Cheers. Cheers. To the brown nectar of the gods. Mm. That is tasty. Oh my god, that is. Oh, that's that's got it's, that's got layers to it. Yeah. Let me see that bottle again. It's right here. Wow. So so what happened? So Austin Nichols. Oh, when was this? What year was this? So the year on this would be this would be seventies, seventies uh, maybe eighties. Oh, actually, let me see the bottle. I, I can date it real quick. I. Um, so you can. There's a few things you can look at a bottle to see. You know, there's no, you know, obviously there's no uh, QR code on there. Mm -hmm. You can look below here. And I thought this was, uh, oh, that's this was the 80s. Yeah, this is 80, 83. Oh, 83. 83. How do you come across your, 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 your I mean, your, your collection is, is second to none, but at this point you probably have everything. Uh, I have everything, at least in sample bottle size. You know, I have uh, tons of uh, tons of whiskeys from around the world. Um, a lot of things sent to me just to taste, you know, but most of the things I get are just in itty bitty, teeny tiny bottles. I don't have always have the full bottles, but, uh, but I do get it, just about everything. Jeez. Um, how did you get how did you get into bourbon? You know, it's funny because I, I, I'll tell you how I got into it in college. Mm hmm. Um, I was drinking swill and I was in a fraternity and, um, we would go down to the fraternity house on a Friday or Saturday. And, um, I went to Wofford college in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. There's a Kappa Sigma there. And, um, you're a Kappa Sigma. I was a Kappa. Yeah. I, right. a Kappa Sigma and I, I, I was a D Chi. Like we didn't have, I don't think, uh, yeah, we had we had K Sigs while we called you. Ahead. Yeah, some where yeah. where'd you go? School? Oklahoma State. Oh, so you that was probably a hell of a chapter. Uh yeah, yeah Kappa Sigma was. Yeah. No, yours too. No, well, we got kicked off. <laughs> uh, we we were nicknamed Delta High. Uh, so, got it. Yeah. Um, but no, so we'd go down the house and Jim Beam was the preferred bourbon because that's what you could afford. Right. And I remember there was one weekend, I might have it might have been my junior year. And we were celebrating something. I forget what the celebration was, but one of the one of the brothers that came for more money than my family had, he'd taken out a a bottle of uh, Maker's Mark. Mm. I was like, "Oh, this is so much better than that other crap we've been drinking." <laughs> and so I and so I would I would start to buy, you know, Maker's Mark for a special occasion. Uh, and then I think from the Maker's Mark, I discovered Woodford. Okay. And, then, and then so from there on, I would just, uh, I would, I would go out and if there was a bourbon that I had not had before and I had a few dollars in my pocket, I would, I would try it. And now fast forward to my twenties and I just started out in, in journalism. I was very poor. Um, I couldn't afford nice things. And I couldn't afford nice bourbon for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so I would, I would pal around with people. Uh, who appreciated good bourbon. And if we went out, they knew I was poor. They would be, oh, yeah, let's get two of those. I'm like, yes. And so I discovered more bourbon that way. And then probably I'd say maybe 
10 years ago in, um, in a house that we had, had bought um, in Connecticut, my wife let me build this bar. And I decided I was going to, to, to make it a bourbon bar. And so I, I started to collect um, my favorite bourbons. No, you got the bug. And, and then my friends, for, as, as gifts for special occasions, they'd give me a, a bottle of this or a bottle of that. Um, and so it just, that's kind of how it, that's kind of how it started. But I'm, you know, I mean, I only, I probably have, you know, probably 20, 25 different bourbons at a time. Nothing like. Well, and you, and you've, you've been, uh, you've been an amazing voice for, uh, telling the story. Like we mentioned, uh, you know, the Jimmy Russell story you did a couple of years ago and, you know, you were, you were the first person I went all in on with like telling my story. I remember. I. So I want to give you a go back a little bit for you when, when we were doing this, we were, they, um, they approached me and said, Hey, they want to talk about your taste mindfulness and how you kind of learned it in therapy. And I had mentioned it before and talked about it before, but never really focused on, it. I've always, I'd always been nervous about it. Why? I, um, I was. I was really nervous about it because I didn't, you know, I, I was, I was, I've gotten myself in a really good position yeah. and I still, I, I still sometimes feel like, you know, I could do more to help other veterans and, and alcohols is not necessarily where you want veterans going who need help. Uh, and, and so I didn't want, I didn't want that to be like a, you know, I see some, your point. Some kind of like uh, anti, yeah. You know, the the opposite way. Like someone, someone sees my story and then like, oh, they drink more. But after that, and I actually had to, pre I had to prepare for like I was preparing for like fallout from like from that community. I was really nervous about that. But the opposite happened. I yeah. Had, I had all of these therapists writing me, telling me like uh, how my story helped them get people into therapy. Uh, I had people tell me that they used the same technique and they had no idea that it was, you know, so it, it was, it was a very powerful, it was very powerful for me personally. And it helped me get out and, and do more for, for my veteran. And that's because of you, well, you know, the way, and the way you honored, um, honestly, the, the way you honored me and told my story was, it, it, I, I was, well, thank it you. It meant the world to me. Well, it's it's a, it was a story and still is a story worth telling. I think a lot of times, you know, you don't realize until you start talking about some of your own struggles. Everyone's broken. Yeah. Every, and when, and this, this is this is not hyperbole. And I've done it long enough to to, to know this to be true because I've talked uh, to people like you and a lot of others along the way. People right. who are famous, people who are infamous, people who are just just regular old folks. Mm -hmm. Everyone. Everyone has something that they are either dealing with or something that they've overcome, some mountain that they're climbing. And people who are um, successful, I'm using air quotes, mm -hmm. on, on this, this journey of ours are folks like yourself who figure out how to overcome it, how to, how, to, how to deal with whatever that is head on, and oh, by the way, use it to help other people. Right. And that's, I mean, I think that's the beauty of, 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 of what, of, of, of your story. I've also said this about bourbon. Bourbon for me, it's, it's like, it's like food. It's like sports. There are very few things that unite us anymore. Right. 
you know? And, and some of my fondest memories in adulthood are, are sitting around having a, a nice glass of a bourbon with my younger brother or with a childhood friend or a college buddy. Uh, and the bourbon is just the thing that sort of unites us, you know, mm -hmm. it's for, for in, in my community, um, at least. But no, I'm, I'm. It is true, though. It is true that it is one of the last. It's one of the last things that is that does bring us together. Mm -hmm. um, I can't think of how many times I've seen people I know who are different politically, you know, sit down and have a bourbon together. In fact, McConnell and Obama, there was a brief moment where they were sitting down and having a drink. Yeah. I mean, that I think that's that has since passed, but you it know. would be nice if more of our politicians from different parties would sit down and have. a. Yeah, I, I it would be very nice. And I think a lot of things could get done mm -hmm. if they would just sit down and have a drink. But they can't even uh, do that. And they have the they have the bourbon caucus. But wait a minute. I don't think I knew about this. Yeah, there's a bourbon caucus that uh, I would imagine all of the legislators from Kentucky. Yeah, well, uh, all of them. They will all come to it. And it's like one of the few things where many like Republicans and Democrats will come to. The Bourbon Caucus. Yeah, it's founded by um, John Yarmouth, who was our longtime. Oh, yes. And uh, and Louisville. He, he retired recently. I How he would come on my uh, cable show from time to time. I always enjoyed him. He was, he's great. Yeah, he's, a, he's a very personable human being. And, you know, he came up, he came up our world. You know, he was a publisher for a long time. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, he started out with those little uh, free newspapers that you go into a coffee shop. And sure. It was called Leo. Still called Leo, but yeah. He's I didn't know that's how you get a start. Yeah. I've, I've always wondered something about the, about you. What's the story on the Ascots? So, <laughs> the Ascot. I mean, was this, is this, were you like a seven-year-old wearing uh, the Ascot to school? I was a huge fan of detective movies as a kid okay and a lot of the detectives or the bad guys would wear an ascot like if you go and watch old murder she wrote episodes every other episode will have somebody in an ascot and that always appealed to me uh when i, I, think I was when, when i got older yeah i was you know and it came time to dress up i i, I would go into stores and i would say hey can i get an ascot uh and most of the people would laugh at me you know, because they were like, They're this, like ain't the, <laughs> this ain't the 60s, buddy. Right. You know? We don't keep ascots in stock, sir. So I am on, um, I'm on a, when I was covering wine, I was, uh, I was on a trip in, uh, in Italy. And there's this famous uh, wine writer there. His name is Bill Marsano. He's one of the original wine writers from the 60s and 70s that kind of shaped um, the profession. And uh, he's wearing an ascot. My wife's with me. And uh, I go up to him. I'm like, you know, fanboying out here. This is 2008 or 2009, yeah. early in my career. And I, I say, Bill, how do I start getting ascots? I've always been wanting to wear ascots. And yeah. he's like, Can you? and he basically like shrugged me off. He's like, get away from me. Like, tell me about your wife. And he started like he started like hitting on my wife. Oh, I didn't see the story going there. Yeah, he's in his mid sixties, oh, late sixties, and he's like, "Hey, oh. uh, hey, uh, what's going on? Hey, do you like you my know? ascot? <laughs> was... do, you, do you drop that zero and get with a hero? Heroes were ascots. That's what he was. What he was all about. But he was also like, we would be in these classes with these winemakers, and he would start falling asleep. You know, and he was just like, he didn't care. He would fall. He would fall asleep. He was like, you guys are boring me. I'm just going to check out, take a nap. And, um, and I thought this guy hated my guts and he yeah. just, he kept hitting on my wife. And 
he leaves a little bit before us. And when we get home, there's a package waiting for me on the doorstep. Oh. He wrote in the note. He's like, hey, Fred, I had my wife make you uh, three ascots. Wow. And so he had uh, three ascots made for me by his wife. And then at the end, he's like, P.S., tell your beautiful wife I said hello. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that guy, you know, he's still uh, he's still a curmudgeon. Oh, that's funny. Know, he just shows up at random, uh, random wine things uninvited now but uh he's that's how it started that's how i and and now you can't you still can't find them no you can't you, you can't find them so you have to go to secondhand stores you have to like uh, i used to go to uh estate sales i'd look at obituaries and if somebody wore an ascot i'd go to the estate sale so we were dead <laughs> wait, wait a minute wait a minute yeah you you would look at the obits i would look and at if you saw a picture of a guy who had just died wearing an ascot like, you would show up at the estate sale? It, it sounds a little morbid. No, no, because it, it is. Be, <laughs> it sounds morbid because it is morbid. I mean, that's next level. That's, but that, that's the only way you can get them. That's, so if you're listening right now <laughs> and you have a loved one who might be in heaven's waiting room uh, and they wear an ascot, contact Fred Minnick. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. By the way, it is, we are, uh, we are in Peter Shapiro's office here. It's nice. It's very nice. He's got all the windows open. The sun is just beating down on us. I was going to say, I don't know why Peter keeps it at 90 degrees in here. Yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe it was some sort of tactic, but. It, it could be like, this is like, we'll be, as soon as we sip it, we sweat it out. So. Peter Shapiro's office is, is like a, it's like a museum. It is. So he represented like um, the Grateful Dead, like, or like he took Grateful Dead on tour. God. So. He's got stories. Yeah, he does. And so, like all the great. I'm just going to read something that, that that just caught my eye in his office. Um, I'm not sure. It's from a guy named John Popper. Pete, I found some monkey blood soaked knife outside. I took the money and left the knife somewhere in your desk, but I forgot where because it slipped behind that thing on your shelf. We had to run, but I may have confessed or rather. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I better stop reading. So it, uh, that's yeah. It, it's gotten to the point where the language uh, may not be. Uh, I mean, he's got a sign, James Brown, Godfather yeah. Soul poster behind me. He's got some Bob. Oh, this is great. This is a room now. Yeah, this I'm gonna have to listen to that episode for sure. So we got a we got a little bit more to taste here. Are you down to taste a couple more? Absolutely. So what do we what do we, where do we go from here? So we have a couple oh. options. We got a Heaven Hill twenty uh, year. 20 year. This, yes. This is a corn whiskey. It's not it's not bourbon. Oh. So corn whiskey is uh, a different category than uh, than bourbon, and uh, ha it has to be made with at least eighty percent corn. Let me make sure I don't damage your bottle. Oh, you're you're good. So 80%? At least 80% corn, and it can also be aged in used barrels, whereas bourbon has to always go into new barrels. And uh, this is a, this is kind of an ode to, um, really, this is how whiskey would have been made long, long ago. And the category is a great category, but doesn't have a lot of participants in it. It's really got Heaven Hill, and, and that's, yeah, they have a brand called Mellow Corn. That is a really great, you know, twelve dollar whiskey. Corn but, corn whiskey. Are mm -hmm. you a fan? I haven't tasted it yet, full disclosure. Um I I I have tasted this one. I've got some opinions on it, but I, I don't wanna so I'm gonna I don't want to uh 
I'll tell you what, it smells pretty potent. It does smell potent. Notice the color, how light that is. It is quite light. You're right. You know, bourbon would Much not be lighter than what we were. Just yeah, drinking. bourbon would not be nearly that light mm -hmm. after 20 years. What do you smell on the top there? It's very alcohol forward. Mm, yes, very. Yeah. Oh boy! Right down. That's um. It almost um, it has a it has a brandy esque kind of approach to it for me, but the the alcohol is very strong. Like the the alcohol note on that is very yeah, it is very intense. Hit you on the front and the back of the tongue. Let me ask you this: You just mentioned barrels. I got into an interesting conversation recently mm -hmm. with um, you know what? I won't disclose who it was with because. Um, but this, cause now I, I feel like they're finishing bourbon and, you know, it started with, you know, cab cask barrels and then you yeah. got rum cask barrels and how do you, are you a barrel purist or are you okay? I am a purist in the, in the app, in the most absolute sense. Yeah. I have, I actually have no issues with, with the finishing. Uh, I just don't want to see bourbon on the front of the label. And, you know, before we kind of started recording i i was talking about like how we need people who are not associated with brands to you know to talk about whiskey because otherwise it's just it's just pr people and marketing and they're strong they're powerful and they have larger audiences than people like me they have reach they have budgets and they don't give two shits about history i mean the people who care about history who are in those positions they're going away. They're no longer around. They care about case sales and they care about their story. And basically it ceases to be bourbon the minute they put it into another cask. Mm. But the federal government allows them to put bourbon on the front of the label, even though that the, the uh, label approval that they went through with the tax department was what they called uh, a distilled spirit specialty. So you're looking at something that is pretty, you know, I'm on the losing end. I, yeah. I, I'm fully the minority in this, but I don't think they should have bourbon on the front of the label. If they had it on the back of the label and they described what it is. Um, but I feel like if by doing this, they open themselves up for losing the 1964 unique product, the United States Declaration, because we are no longer respecting our own terms and definitions of what is bourbon. So when Mexi uh, Mexican corn whiskey is mm. very popular right now, and it's actually very good. If a distiller down in Mexico or Canada, which both of those countries used to make bourbon, they have a history of making bourbon. I didn't know that. Labeling it bourbon. Yeah, absolutely. If they wanted to challenge um, this international, you know, protected status, and use that as a case, I, I think they would be well within the rights because Americans, we are not respecting the term bourbon by, with those bottles. No, we've, we've, I think we've been perverting bourbon for, for a while. Yeah. But I, but I, I do think that in doing so, they have made bourbon more approachable sure. to, um, to, to, to different groups. So if we, if we went from calling it bourbon just saying whiskey american whiskey we have no problem here i actually like the flavor 
of a lot of those barrel finishes. But my contention has always been put whiskey on the front of the label. Be honest about it. And bourbon on the back. Yeah. And they are honest about it. But the problem is, is that when someone walks into a store to buy a bottle, they're not buying whiskey. They want to buy bourbon. bourbon. They want to see bourbon on the label. Yep. So it goes back to that right. sales and marketing conversation. And let me tell you, big bourbon uh, over the last five, 10 years, they, I mean, clearly they've spent, you know, you know, tens, if not hundreds of millions, millions of dollars on, on marketing and branding, but it's working. Yeah. It's working. I mean, it is, I was just in the store over the weekend, my regular place in town where I go, and they've literally doubled their selection. And I, but I did say to the woman who runs it, and I'm a creature of habit. I'm like an 80 year old man. I go to the same places. <laughs> I buy the same things. It's. Same, I, same I menu item I, at the restaurant. I, right, the time. right. I tell yeah. the same stories. My wife mocks me for it. <laughs> but I said to Corey, I said, Corey, this is great. But but you're bringing in bourbons from, no disrespect to, you know, you're bringing in bourbons from like Brooklyn and places I've never heard of. And they're making bourbon. And she's like, Craig, it, it's, it's selling. It sells. It yeah. sells. Um, I do think, Fred, and this is what I, I don't think anyone's figured out yet, because I think this, I think in terms of available market, two groups, women, mm-hmm. like if, if they're, and it's funny because I met a woman and I can't remember her name and it's going to bother me. So I'll have to pull up the email in a little bit. Um, I met a woman maybe about a month or two ago. She stopped by the show with a friend of mine. She is either the first or only master distiller. Hang on, you'll, you'll, you'll know her name. This is going to bother me, so I'm just going to pull up the email. Um, I think there is a market for, um, for a bourbon that is not necessarily marketed toward women, mm-hmm. but maybe a, a, a brand that's started by a woman. There's quite a few of those out. Okay. Um, and... I wrote a book called Whiskey Women, which we're now in its its tenth anniversary this year. Like this uh, October will have been ten years since it came out. By the way, I got her name. All right, Marianne. Eves. Oh, Marianne, yeah, she's a great friend of mine. She stopped by the show. Mm-hmm. I said, I think we're going to try to do a story with her at some point. But apparently, it's Kentucky's first female master distiller. Yeah, and, and was the first uh, distiller to leave the big bourbon establishment in Kentucky. And strike out on her own and do things a little differently. Yeah. So she she was gonna she was the master distiller in the waiting for Woodford Reserve. And um shortly after they kind of gave her that kind of moment, she left. And she went to um start with the company called Castle and Key. And then she broke away from there and it's been kind of in a consulting role. People she's consulted with, Peyton Manning, yeah. um, Dr. Disrespect. And then she's got, I think she's got her own brand coming out here very soon. But she's, um, she's, she's the real deal. And, and there, believe me, when she took that title, uh, everybody came to me and was like, um, how could she be master distiller? You know, she hasn't been doing it long enough. Cause I'm the one I was like, she's a master distiller. You know, that person over there can call themselves a master distiller. She can call herself a master distiller. Yeah. But she faced a lot of that early on. I mean, I think that's kind of went away largely now, but she is, uh, she's great. One of my dear, she's a dear friend. Good. I'm glad you vouched for her. Yeah. That means a lot. And I'll tell you another group that I, I continue to feel sort of underrepresented in the space people that look like me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're all familiar with the story of Uncle Nearest by now, and I, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy their bottle uh, tremendously, and I enjoy their story even more. But there, there should be. Are there any black master distillers right now? Uh, master blender. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, there are also black-owned brands. Okay. Um, have they taken the title master distiller? That's a hard one to say. I okay. don't. I don't know. In rum. Yes. Everywhere. Yes. Uh, but I will say that the the the, the culture, the drinking culture, mm-hmm. is shifting in in the black community a lot more toward bourbon than like say getting they're getting away from uh, a lot of things like hennessy and going to bourbon oh i know and um and i I, there's a lot of incredible groups behind that the uh black bourbon society was started by an amazing person uh and samara rivers and she she has she has been a person with a mission you know, will you send me when we're done here? I want you to send me your information. Yeah, that I'd sounds like a good be more, story too. More, more than happy to. Where is she based? She is well. She's either in Atlanta or L.A. Okay. So By the way, I feel I forgot that we were even doing a podcast. I'm just oh. sitting, <laughs> I'm sitting here yapping. About. Hey, I, listen, I'm all about I'm all about making sure my friends yeah get get the attention they deserve. I, I mean that. So happy to help. So far, that wild turkey's been my favorite. Wild turkey's gonna be hard. Wild to turkey's beat. twelve. But we tried the heaven held 20. What's next? Um, I'm thinking we go with the Mictors here. I, you know, it's funny about Mictors. I remember maybe it was two years, it was a couple of years ago. No, it was before the pandemic. It's a couple of years ago. I I can't remember where I was, but a friend of mine had come into town and we were grabbing a steak. Actually, here in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Del Frisco's or one of these steakhouses. And they had a bottle of the Mictors. On the shelf, I had never, I had never tried Mictors, um, but you know, I'm open to new ideas. It's about four or five years ago, mm-hmm. and he, he's like, "Oh, let's try some Mictors." So I was like, "Oh, fine, fine." Didn't know anything about the Mictors, um, but the the uh, bartender was like, "You got to try it. It's gonna, I'm telling you, it's gonna blow up. This is gonna be blah blah blah." He's going, "Oh no, about Mictors." Oh, no. So I was like, "Fine, I'll try your Mictors. I'll appease you, sir." <laughs> Uh, I remember tasting the Mictors for the first time, and it was just like, "Whoa!" Was it? Do you remember which one it was? Uh, it was. This is the ten year. This, yeah. It was not even the ten year. It was. It was standard. It was a bit more pedestrian, Fred, okay. than this. This is this is the good stuff. Um, but where, uh, give me the give me the story on the Mictors because I, I feel like they kind of came out of nowhere. So Mictors is a brand that's historically from Pennsylvania. It's um, no. So historically, the the original company was in Pennsylvania. They went out of business in the late 1980s, and it was acquired by a company called Chatham Imports. Okay, this guy happened to be like the lead distributor for for the brand um, back in the day, and and he brought the kind of this Pennsylvania heritage over to Kentucky. Which uh, let me tell you, in whiskey. In the 90s and early 2000s, that's probably one of the most controversial things you can do. Oh, and gone. so he did. He did something that oh, that would be gone. like moving the Yankees. Yeah, you know that's that's how many people in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania's like whiskey heritage had died out. Yeah, essentially when Mictors ended, and so he acquired the brand and moved it to Kentucky, and began to like uh, have uh, you know source whiskey, so buy barrels from other people. 
Then they started contract distilling. Then they started their own distillery. You know, now their own whiskey is in the market. You know, so they've been contract. They've been distilling long enough that their own stuff is out. But their their story is is, is fascinating because they they believed in in their mission. But if you would have somebody in the whiskey industry in the '90s, if you would have if, if they would have presented that idea to the average consumer, like no way do not do that you know find a way to open a distillery in pennsylvania like it was it was a major thing for them to do but they started winning over fans and yeah. more fans and more fans and now uh michter's is like the only major brand that competes against happy in these auctions i mean it's 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 phenomenal uh bourbon and i didn't know the backstory and i, I, I asked you because i knew you would of course know the backstory but it I just, know all the good juicy scoops. But I but so up until oh, a few yeah, years that is, ago, that is good. Yeah, right. <laughs> my first time tasting this release. Oh, is it? Yeah. Is I always assume that you that you've tasted everything. Well, every release, every. So, Craig, I, I'm about to tell you something that I haven't told anybody. This has been a very difficult year for me uh, for my tasting group because I've gotten into jujitsu, and I'm and I'm doing all these classes and I'm like, and after I'm done with class, I'm like, I don't want to taste. Like, I just, I'm like, I'm like worn out, you know? So I've started doing my tastings like in the morning, my class is in the, you know, the afternoon. And so I've had to like shift my schedule a lot. And now I'm, I'm finally back in my groove. Normally by this time I would have tasted like two, 300 things. Yeah in a year. Uh, and I got my competition coming up very soon, which that's going to happen quickly. Uh, but, um, when is the competition? It's, um, we go, we start tasting in two weeks. It's the American spirits canceled tasters. We got a thousand entries this year. So a thousand, a thousand entries. Yeah. So you're tasting, first of all, I won't taste all of those. Oh, okay. We have other judges. Okay. Yeah. I bet you taste some really terrible crap. Oh, absolutely. But you probably taste them. Yeah, some you taste in my career uh, some of the tasting notes I've used to describe the terrible crap dry, uh, drywall. <laughs> uh, I, I I I actually had a whiskey that smelled like a dead cat. <laughs> um, and I'm a little uh, concerned how you know what a dead cat smells like. But. I mean, we all. I mean, you. you a dead animal. Oh, okay, you know, okay, you know, that was okay. But that specifically, makes... a dead yeah, cat. that's how it smelled. It's a, yeah, it's a rough one. Uh, to enter the competition, what do you have to? So it's uh, anyone so can enter spirits competitions. Like you need to be, you need to be a brand, obviously. But uh, but the spirits competitions are businesses, right? So so it's like Emmys. It, it be, it's very similar mm. to the Emmys. You know, like if you have if you have something you want to get in, someone enters it yeah you know and there it's it's very similar to something like that but the emmys are also very subjective like there's some you know sometimes someone will win an emmy and you're like really <laughs> that that's an emmy that's an emmy um but well i think it's the same with you know tasting tasting is very subjective and that's dumb blind right so we're uh we don't know like what won best whiskey last year over like two thousand dollar scotches was a little bitty uh michigan distillery um, called Journeyman. Journeyman. Yeah, Journeyman. Their wheat whiskey won best whiskey. What's um, what's what's your favorite new bourbon right now? Or is uh, there is there one? 
I am in love with this uh, family-owned farm distillery in Indiana called Starlight. Starlight. Uh, and they have a they have a little winery associated with them called Huber's, which they're more well known for. They're in Indiana, southern Indiana, so they're about forty minutes from the border of Kentucky. And their stuff is Starlight. Incredible. Starlight. Is it easily accessible? I mean, can you can you can I get can folks get it outside yeah. of okay yeah. Especially if you live in a state where it can be shipped to you. What's the price point on it? Mm. Is it reasonable or forty bucks? Oh, on their higher end, eighty. So it's you know? so it's reasonable. Yeah. What do you think's overrated right now? Can you can you even say that or? Oh, I can say whatever I want. What do you what do you think's? Um, what do I think's overrated? Well, obviously Blanton's is way overrated. Um, now, do you think it's overrated because of the price point, or do you think it's just overrated um, in terms of just? Yeah. So if you. If you can buy Blanton's for 40, 50 bucks, then you're in, to me, it's, it, to me, it's in the league of Woodford Reserve. I, I would concur. Yeah. It's in, it's in that league. How is it then? Cause I want to come back to this. Cause you've just raised an interesting point. My mm-hmm. father-in-law loves Blanton's. He loves to collect the horses. He likes the flavor of it. Mm-hmm. I can get Blanton's in Connecticut for to your, I, you know, maybe 45 bucks mm-hmm. if they have it in stock. I go down to Virginia where he lives in Fairfax. Sometimes it's twice as much. Why? Well, um, you said you're buying in Connecticut. Yeah. That's a control state. And oh. so by law, they don't go over that. Uh. Um, in v- Virginia, um, in Fairfax, I didn't realize that they would be that much more expensive because their 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 laws are very similar. They shouldn't be that expensive. Okay. Maybe but, I should uh, tell him that. He could report this well this there's, pe- there's there's people going to jail right now for for trying to job the virginia system so there's so, so much stuff going on in bourbon it's, it's so blends is a bit overrated if not overpriced mm-hmm. depending on, on where and i and pappy 23 year old uh is way over oaked it is it is not worth the hype um 10 years ago i can make an argument for it but uh, the latest release was so bad. It, it was it, it was like to me not even palatable. And you still can't even get a bottle of it for less than a couple grand. Yeah, which so is that, which is also I mm-hmm. think shameful. Like it's absolutely. Not, um, well, that's interesting to hear your take on blends. What's your table bourbon? Got about ten of them, but I'd say uh, it's whatever my wife. My wife's a big bourbon drinker. She better be. So she actually was a taster before me. So she was uh, what? Yeah. So I was always a drinker. Yeah. Not a taster. <laughs> you know, there's a difference, right? Uh, there is a difference. So we would be, we'd go out on a date, and she would get a makers, makers like on the rocks, and just kind of sip it. Yeah. As as we were having a date, and I was like, "What are you doing?" And like, yeah. you're just sipping it, like it's she's like wine. Like I'm, I'm just like I'm tasting it. <laughs> I was like, you're supposed to go. Arr. So makers is like your. You've got sounds like you makers got a, is a, a sentimental attachment to makers. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a sentimental attachment there, and also uh, Bill Samuels Jr., uh, who is the their longtime chairman. You know, when I was when I was about to give up on whiskey, when I was about to get out, you know, and, and try to get a job because it was it was hard early on making a living. Like I was, I mean. Looking at like the mortgage payments, yeah. you know. But look at you now, Fred. Well, and and he saw that. He yeah. says, "I don't know what you're going to do, but he's like, you're going to change whiskey." And and he's like, "You need it. Whatever it is, you have to stay into whiskey." 
And so I, I, I stayed in. So Makers does have a sentimental attachment to me. Um, that being said, I don't always like the releases, but it is special to me. Uh, but at home, we go. We have a rotation. Four Roses Single Barrel, uh, Evan Williams Bottled and Bond, Elijah Craig. Elijah, the Reverend. But, but the one that really stays on the table at all times, and if I don't have it, I get in trouble, is uh, Booker's. Booker's. My wife is in love with Booker's. Huh. Is that is it a new love or has she always always yeah? And in I fact, do love Booker's. I mean, but I thought I was in the minority. I didn't know it was. She loves it. And when we had our first child, she was like, after we had the baby, she's like, "Where's my Booker's?" Oh, she wanted a drink of Booker's. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, Booker's. That's good to know. Yeah. That is good to know. So we have we have two more left. You know, oh wow! To chew you, I think we got we got glassware for one. We can get another glass. Uh, but we can choose or have both of them. Uh, you know what? Let's just, let's, I'll do, I'll just choose. Can I choose this one? Sure. Because I've had that one. You've had that. You've I, had, I okay. like it. Um, I like the Colonel E.H. Taylor a lot. Mm-hmm. I've never had the 16-year Calumet. Let's do it. I mean, this is what, only 19 barrels of this. Only 19 barrels. This is special. Well, let's taste it and find I, out. Could, I, you do the honors. It could stink. I, I am so. I, you never I am, know. Thank you. This is. Did you say it could stink? It could stink. That's true. Yeah. Why did Calumet change their bottle? Uh, I don't know, but boy, doesn't that look close to the Pappy bottle? That, no, it's okay. Yeah. That's like, I mean, I think that I think that was the motivation. Yeah, I. You know, packaging is so important in this game, and the closer you can look like the main. The main player. You think people won't even know the difference, probably. I will say, I, I understood why Willett changed their bottle. Um, because I, I think it was probably a couple of years ago when Willett changed their bottle. Their, the Willett bottle, the base of the damn thing was probably, you know, that in terms of diameter. The pot still? Yeah, it took up so much space on shelves. I got that change. Um, but I don't, I don't get the, I never got the Calumet change. Well, there's also like what's available. That's, oh. a, that's a very standard bottle. There's been a glass. Uh, there's been been a very prominent glass shortage. That's true. We've actually reported on that. So that that comment of mine came from a place of ignorance. You, uh, which one? Oh, let's see. Let's, let's see. What are we thinking here? You just took your initial. My oh. friend Liz is over in the corner here. She's ne- she's like I have never heard two people. Talk about bourbon for so long. Her <laughs> eyes have gone. Her husband, everything. He's like, her eyes are glazing over. Is your husband? A, is he a, a bourbon guy? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Liz is the best. My cousins collect also. Oh, really? You know, a little brown sugar action there and banana. Banana, see that—that's why your palate. That's there's there was a taste, and I couldn't put my finger on it. But you're right; that's exactly what it is. That's banana, and it doesn't taste like it's been it's it's been in a barrel for six barrel for sixteen years either. It's not always a compliment. No, in this case, it is. This is good. I enjoy this. I don't know what's your take on it. Well, this particular bottle took last place at a blind tasting I did in uh, one of my blind blind bourbon live events in DC. And the audience hated it. 
Really? They hated it. It was it was very it was bizarre to me. Uh but I think when you have when you have like this tobacco banana combo to it, that has that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I like banana. I'm not a huge tobacco guy, but the banana You smoke cigars? I do. I, I but know. you're not a tobacco guy. I'm not a tobacco in my bourbon guy. Okay. I mean, in terms of in, in terms of the preferred notes, like if what what I want hitting my my palate initially, yeah, it's either it's either caramel, it's either yeah, I'm a, I'm a sweet guy, the caramel, banana, uh, vanilla. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a. That's why I think I've never really enjoyed rice as much as too some spicy. Yeah, too peppery. Yeah. Um, but I know some people now, they love a rye, 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 rye. I'm, I've never, I don't keep rye in the house. Well, you, you might, you might um, look for some of the sweeter ryes uh, from Kentucky, like uh, Michter's, Michter's ryes are very sweet. Um, Woodford's tend to be sweet. And maybe, I, I wouldn't, the... Um, the rye from Turkey is not sweet. To me, that's very herbly and spicy. Um, I'd say it's another sweet rye out of Kentucky. That might be it. Yeah. The, the Mictors one would hit the spot for you. Are you a rye guy? Yeah, I like him. I have to I have to be able to assess all whiskeys. Wait uh, a minute. What do you mean all whiskeys? I thought you were... No, no, I'm not just bourbon. No, I have to I assess everything. Canadian yeah. whiskey? Scot uh, you're, you're drinking scotches? Scotch uh, whiskey? I, I, well, I will, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, have to be able, I, have, I have to be able to break it down. But your favorite, though, is obviously the bourbon whiskey. Bourbon, yeah. Okay. Yeah, if I'm, if I'm choosing, it's bourbon. Uh, I didn't I, know. This, I just learned something new. So I had, um, I think I was one of three people in the world that got a sample of the 80-year-old Glenlivet. And I had, um, I had Jared Allen, the Minnesota Vikings. Should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way on my show and he's like, all right, you know, he's in my office and he's like, what should we, what should we drink? I was like, well, there's an 80 year old scotch behind you that uh, I, I need to get to taste. I need to taste it. So let's, let's taste that. And so he reaches back there and grabs it. And we, we taste it. And it's like, Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a quarter of a million dollars for a bottle. Right. And uh, he, and he's like, oh, that's the standard now. 80 year scotch. But, but I guess that my point to that is like, I don't, I, I do enjoy scotch. Yeah. I can, I can taste scotch. I can break it down. Um, but I, I, I look at, I'm very much into bringing interest into where value is. Like I don't, to get, to get great scotch, you have to spend a thousand bucks, right? 2000 bucks. You know, I and, mean, I'm, and that's not bare right. minimum three, four hundred bucks. My mother-in-law, like she's a scotch lady um, and she likes she drinks Lafroy and that, real peaty, real peaty. Oh, yeah. it's so peaty. Like when I open the bottle for her, I have to step away because it almost it almost makes me want to gag. Wow. Like it's just I can't I can't stand Does it smell like Band-Aids to you. That's a the way to go with the dis yes yeah. that yes band aids maybe mixed with like a sort of this moss like it's like mossy yeah. it's not a I, I don't find the scent pleasurable yeah. I love my mother in law for the record if she is listening <laughs> to the podcast to be clear I adore my mother in law Terry uh -huh. Ann 
Um, but the scotch is just, and I and I only keep it in the house for her. Oh, wow. Like I can't. It's just. It's in a cabinet that's far, far away. The, right, far, far away, far, <laughs> far away. I did not. Can, and Canadian whiskey? What are you? So, the Canadians, if if they wanted to focus on quality versus volume, they would be. I think they would be considered the greatest distilling country in the world. Why? They are great at focusing on fermentation and distilling single fermentation. They are great distillers. But their problem is, is they're so focused on blending. The, the blending is their heritage. And they take all of these great whiskeys and they blend them down and they can add up to 9.09% of other additives into their uh, the product. A great case in point, how you know um, Canadian whiskey is great is Whistlepig. Whistlepig was buying um, stocks from Canada. Hmm. And they've continued to buy stocks from Canada. And they're bottling it in Vermont. And Whistlepig wins a ton of awards. Whistlepig is great. It's Canadian whiskey. Did not know that. Um, Did not know it. They don't market it as such, do they? They had a they they had a their hands behind tied behind their backs where they weren't allowed to put the product of Canada on there for a minute, uh, but then they were able to do that, and so they they don't outright market it that way, but they they put it on the label, um, and it's great whiskey. The Canadians are great distillers, but they just don't they they create it to be Crown Royal. Mm -hmm. Crown Royal is what. You know, what they go when with. I think of Canadian whiskey, that's what I think of. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you're right. They churn out a ton of it. Yeah. They like, they like to, you know, do volume, but, um, yeah, it's it. They're, they're great distillers. And there are, there are a lot of great whiskeys that never make it out of Canada. Let me ask you about a couple other, but since I've got you here, I always love picking your brain. Um, Blade and Bow right now. Uh, Blade and Bow, you know, it's serviceable, you no, know, that's, but, that's all I need to hear. The the twenty two year old can be one of the better uh, older releases out there, but I don't like the standard one as much. Bibbin Tucker. Oh God, no. Yeah, no. but I, yeah, it's but it's funny how because I feel like I see it everywhere now. Yeah, Bibbin Tucker's everywhere. Like just kind of like Blade and Bow. I mean, they they seem to be have become somewhat ubiquitous in the. Uh, yeah, Bibbin Tucker. Um, I, you know, for a long time they were one of those companies that they were carrying the banner of we don't have to be transparent about where our whiskey comes from and now there's a lot more but they they're not they are very good at reaching people who don't want to know whiskey uh, they want to reach people they want to want to reach people who want to treat whiskey like you know Coors Light or Bud Light right. Michelob Ultra oh what about uh you're a Jefferson's guy. I, I am. Oh. I wouldn't say I. I'm, I'm not a anybody guy. Well, that's true. You you actually have to be. But an I absolutely love the people behind the brand. Love them, and the shit that Trey does, like that guy. If if he could rent um, uh, space rocket to yeah. fly his stuff up to the moon he right. would right which has being done but whoa what someone's doing that right now as we speak 
Uh, they're trying to gain the capital for it, but they have a all they have everything specked out, and they're going to fly moon to bourbon. I don't know if it's going to go to the moon oh. all the way, but it's going to be in the orbit. It's going to be in space. Okay. When that happens, you let me know. Yeah, oh. they want seventy five thousand dollars a bottle. I think. Well, you don't have to let me know then. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. You just, yeah. It's a lot of money for Never money. mind. Yeah, my interest yeah. is waned. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll taste it. Mm. But then I was like, wait, what if like an alien comes into the, like, you know, and lays eggs in it? <laughs> I don't know if I would have tasted it. You know. Again, I didn't see it going there. My favorite today, it's the Mictor's 10 year. Oh, wow. I'd say it's the Mictor's 10 year. Even over the 12 year turkey? That's a, that's a close second. That's a, I don't, I'd have to go back and probably have some more of the 12 year turkey. Okay. To, to, um, but I, they haven't, the, the corn whiskey, I think that's probably an acquired taste. It was, I'm glad, I'm glad that we had this tasting and I did not lead you to, you know, lead you down the path of what I think about it. Yeah. So. Are you corn? Are you, you are corn I whiskey. I love corn whiskey. I don't like that corn whiskey. I think, I do think sometimes my younger brother and I have had this conversation. People just assume that if something's been in the barrel for 16 years, or 20 years, or right. 12 years, it's, oh, it's going to be great. Right. It's been, it's 20 years, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be wonderful. I've tasted some, I mean, I've, you know, not to sound whatever, I've tasted some expensive bourbons over the years that have been in a barrel for, you know, 24 years, for a long time. And you taste it and you're like, uh, maybe this should have stayed in the barrel a little longer. This is not, uh, this isn't so, great. Yeah, or, you know, I, I actually think that it needs to come out earlier. Earlier. Yeah. I, so the sweet spot for bourbon is eight to 12 years old. Everything after 12 years. Regardless of, I mean, we're talking French oak barrels. Uh, American oak. American oak barrels. Yeah. You're talking American, you're not yeah. talking some, some. Right. Okay. No, no finishing. Like the sweet spot is eight to 12 years old. After the 12 year mark, it can get remarkably better, but it can also decline. And so, like, from a production standpoint, it's dangerous to go past 12 years old. Um, but also, people's palates are changing. You know, Really? You, you talked about, like, the store owner selling all these whiskeys from Brooklyn. The palates are shifting toward dramatically grain forward which i'm actually okay with i like the flavor i like the taste of certain styles of grains and they're shifting toward like oak like my palate i have a very old school palate i think i do too i i, I have a palate like a, you could take me back to the 50s and i would have been in line with what the master distillers were wanting back then this is an interesting this is interesting why would our palates be changing are our palates changing because our the environment's not not I'm not not talking climate change. I'm just talking about like what we eat and how we eat it, and and like has that changed in a way that's altering our palates, or or uh, or the makers of of, of various whiskeys yeah. deliberately changing our palates? Yeah, I think I think I think there's so for for what is the flavor of bourbon was a tightly controlled group of people mm. determining that for a very long time. Uh, and now you have so many people out there who are determining what their flavor profile is, and they're injecting that onto people, and they're winning them over with either personality, marketing, cocktails. Cocktails. Uh, there's so many things. Freaking cocktails. cocktails. I hate cocktails. <laughs> I, I do. I hate. I okay. hate. I, feel I like hate we gotta, cocktails. We got to unwrap this. Here. Well, because and I. To be clear, I respect. 
um, because there are some extremely talented bartenders who, are doing, who, who do amazing things with, with liquor and fire and fruit and just like you watch them and it's artistry. Um, but again, I know I sound like the 80 year old guy on the porch, like shaking my fist. I just, um, well, my wife is calling. I'll call her back. Um, but I, I, I just, I find that to be more of an extension of the aforementioned perversion right. of, of bourbon. Like, don't, don't take my good bourbon and, and throw it in a mixer with like rosemary and lime juice and some like, don't, don't, and honey, don't do that. Don't do that. All right. But I will say, and I had, because I had this conversation um, a while back with, with someone who made a good point to me. And I, when, when she said it, I thought, okay, well, that, that actually makes sense. I do think that for some people, it is a way to introduce them to the joy and wonder of bourbon. Because you, most, most people can't sit around and, and, and sip on, on good bourbon and fully appreciate it. But- if you're 21, 22, maybe you start by having a cocktail or two at your your local bar that the the, the bartender's whipped up and, and they've given you some sort of glorious presentation in the process. If that opens the door and introduces you to the brown nectar of the gods, okay. Okay. You're there. But I don't I don't like to I don't like to see what some people are doing with with bourbon in terms of cocktail glasses. Save, by the way. Save the Manhattan. I, a, I, I do like a good old Manhattan. It, oh, not rocks. You you like you like spirit forward. Mm. Um, you don't want the spirit to get diluted, and that's a very spirit forward cocktail. So basically, um, that's what's happening. You know, people's palates are changing because the interests of the distillers. Going back to the very top of my conversation of like marketers, um, marketers out there and salespeople talking about like oh try our whiskey it's right. different it's local it's this it's that and i support all i support every distiller i want them to succeed but yeah. i want them to do it in a way that complements what is good whiskey and i think the when when you come out and you're, you're against something you're against a flavor profile you create a you, you create a barrier of like between you and and the distiller and they think like oh you just hate us and say so they they use that marketing approach versus saying like okay let's get let's get our whiskey to to this way instead of you know now they're like saying like well you can't trust that reviewer or that reviewer because they don't like our stuff uh, you need to like like our stuff so there it, it's a it's a it's a chess match out there right now I, I think in general, and this is not just applicable to bourbon, I think in general, we should, as a society, be very suspicious of, of brand ambassadors uh, and, and influencers, um, just generally speaking. You know, I could sit here and talk bourbon with you for three hours, but I, I should probably um, get, get back home at some point. This has been, this has been, so this is, I've listened to your podcast, I've listened to it probably two or three episodes. I, I continue to find it fascinating. Oh, thank that, you. That Fred Fred Minnick gets gets to do this for a living. Yeah. Now, granted, you did not an influencer though. Well, no, no, not because you're independent. You're objective. Yeah, but those, you're a bourbon journalist, Fred. That's what you are. Yeah. No, you I, are. I, I guess so. Yeah. You're a bourbon journalist. Old school. 
Try to be anyway. But you served your country, so you, I would I would continue. You, you sort of earned the right to do this. Yeah, I appreciate that, brother. Cheers. 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 Delightful. Hmm. It's probably been the best podcast. I've ever I hope you enjoyed that uh, episode with uh, Craig Melvin. And uh, that's going to do it for us this week. That was a, that was a long one. That was a great interview. Uh, become friends with Craig and just uh, find him to be absolutely incredible. Just a really great guy. But if you haven't already, uh, you know, tell a friend about the podcast. Really appreciate you downloading. Appreciate you uh, telling a friend, getting, helping us uh, grow this little old show as we uh, drink bourbon with celebrities and talk about careers and life. And sometimes the tables get turned on me as they did with Craig Melvin. So next week we got Peter Shapiro who owns the, um, the really popular concert hall, the Brooklyn bowl. So good stories from him coming up, but thanks for tuning in folks. Be safe out there. Remember vodka sucks unless it's being used for hand sanitizer. Cheers y'all. You've been listening to the Fred Minnick show brought to you by 291 Colorado whiskey by Michter's and by Heaven Hill Brands. For more information about Fred's books, articles, podcasts, and more, just go to fredminnick.com.